Hello, listeners of the Art Versations podcast. Happy New Year. Welcome to 2020, a new decade. I'm Brie, like the cheese, host of the Art Versations podcast. And if you're new here, thank you so much for tuning in. Lovely to have you. I wanted to give a quick shout out to a podcast called Story Matters. It is hosted by Kurt Mega, Kim Whalen, and Mike Tobias. They are three actors and writers living in L.A., And so they discuss writing and storytelling with, I find, a very open-minded lens. Um, They just did a decade wrap-up where they share all of the all their perspectives on living in LA and going through all of that. So definitely check it out on all your favorite podcast platforms. My guest this week was the lovely Kirsten Sullivan. I've looked up to her for a while as she went to Ryerson and has since graduated. And so we talk about her recent projects, what she's been up to, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Check it out. I was so mad at my mom. I was like, how dare you? I can be in the Olympics right now. Like, what the heck? I want to be Simone Biles. Hi, Kirsten. Hey. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm so good. Good. Thanks for sitting with me. Yeah, of course. I know you're a very busy gal, running around. You just came from rehearsal. Yes. What was uh, What was that? Uh, I'm working with Peggy Baker <gasps> this year. The lovely. The lovely Peggy Baker. Mm. The intimidatingly nice Peggy Baker, yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm one of her emerging artists. That's amazing. The season. So right now she's making a new work for the theater center, which is premiering in March. Cool, cool. It's um, called Her Body is Words. Mm. So it's looking at the female identity, the female voice, and the female body. Mm-hmm. Or like the overall femininity of existing in society. Are all of the emerging artists female? So she's actually creating it on... A group of artists that most of them she's not worked with before, especially oh. in the creation process. Cool. So Kate Holden is there, who's someone... She's the associate artist now at the company, so acts as rehearsal director and, like, mm. um, companion right, right. position to Peggy. Keeps everyone in, in check. Yeah, <laughs> guess, just, yeah. like, checks in on the room and is, like, a liaison. Nice. But in this, she's she's dancing. So it's herself, Nicole Rose Bond, mm. um, Aria Evans, Peggy Soria, and Siang. So mm. um, it's various artists who like uh, pan in their gender representation, their ethnicity, their mm. background their views on femininity. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. So and you so, get a big, wide yeah, range of opinions. Lot, there's a lot going on wow. right now. and Especially because there's people who are trying to figure out their relationships in the room, their mm. relationship to the work, what the work is, how Peggy works, how the other new artists who have been invited in like to work. There's gotcha. a lot going on. So it's an, it's an interesting thing to understudy. Mm-hmm. Myself and Catherine Semchuk, who's the other emerging artist, we're both understudying the work. So, yeah, it, mm. it feels interesting to understudy right now because there seem to be a lot of emotional components mm. that are going into um, the development of the work and then will be really, really important come the presentation of the work. 
and the performance gotcha. aspect of the work. Mm. So it's it feels interesting to understudy because the physicality is almost coming as a response to the emotionality as opposed to the right. other way around. So I imagine it's probably very personal too. Yeah, so I think we're all just specific individuals. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that'd be hard to like come in and out of that. Yeah, and the work's really specific, I think, to Peggy's experience as well. And Mm. she's working with artists throughout generations. So I think that's part of why the casting is done the way that it is, is because she's, it's like the feminine movement has also changed so much and so drastically within the past. 60, 70 years. Definitely. Her her perspective is completely different than my perspective in a great way, but it just invites so much room for blurriness or like people's personal experiences or opinions on things based on, you know, not only age, but then how they were raised, where they were raised, Mm -hmm. are, how they relate to culture and society. Lots of, lots to go on. Are they excluded? Like, Mm. you know, there's, there's a lot going on. But it's good. It's good. (laughs) You're managing. Yeah. It's just interesting trying to find your place. Right, right. As almost someone who's, like, um, performing witness to Mm. whatever's happening inside of the room. Or at least that's what it feels like. But what a great room to be a part of. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure, for sure. That's really cool. Yeah. And how long has this been going on? Is this... Um, There's a a month and a week, so a five-week process happening right now. So there's one more week remaining of that. Awesome. And then they have another month in March before they go into process and cool. in that month they're bringing in like a little kid a little girl and little um, girl. Fidesz who's like a elder performing artist mm. wow yeah so they're, so they're real really generational yeah. generations in the performance of it too oh my goodness a little girl wow yeah. interesting yes well, whatever Peggy puts on stage is always very thought-provoking. Yeah. So that's really exciting yeah. to see and hear about the process. Mm-hmm. Really, really cool. Yeah. Um, do you find it a different sort of brain shift when you're a vessel for someone versus being the creator of something? Maybe we can talk about that a bit. Yeah. I don't know. That's a question that has been toying with me recently. Mm. Because I think that I'm a highly logical person, so I like to create logic and reasoning for whatever I'm doing. Even if it's illogical to someone else, like I find that whatever I'm doing has to make sense to me. Okay. And so regardless of if I'm like the head of a room in terms of creation or the vessel for someone else's work, I do struggle with not having a voice inside of the room like if that is the case if I am acting as the vessel I do find it hard to just come in and do what I would consider the bare minimum which is just do simply what I'm asked or what I'm told to do um and I think it's okay to be a person who comes in and just does what like what they're asked or what Mm -hmm, they're told to mm -hmm. do I just I'm starting to learn that I'm not that person okay and then that's not satisfying for me gotcha so um I like to have a voice in whatever it is that I'm doing because I I believe that, you know, like if I've been hired or been asked to be a part of a project, that it's actually me that they're Mm. wanting to hire and not Not just just my body. Mm. So I'm I'm slowly coming to terms with what that means in terms of what I say yes to, what I hold back from, 
how much of myself I also put in because there's a really dangerous end mm. on the other how half much of you of yes how much yeah because that mm-hmm. can be really really devastating as well definitely and um, draining mm. especially when it's not your work especially even when it is your work. I don't know, even know if that's right to say. I think at all times it's really draining to put too much. It's of funny. I always say that like being an artist is like a twenty four seven job. Yeah. Like it, it truly is always with you, and and if you're thinking about a project after rehearsal, like it's very common that that happens, mm-hmm. and to stop yourself from like overcrowding with ideas, mm-hmm. I wonder like. Obviously, if it's your creation, like, you're going to take time to reflect on the rehearsal, how it went, or something like that, and where you want to go with the project. But then taking time away from it is also really helpful, I think. I don't know. No, yeah. I definitely agree. If, like, if we're talking in terms of working on something that's mine, Mm -hmm. or, like, comes from me and needs to be translated to others. Yeah. I think there's also, like, a difference between working on your own. Yes. And then working on your own thing with others. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm, like, starting to investigate as well. Because I feel that when I'm working on my own, I can create my timelines and my deadlines that, like, I can easily let go of or renegotiate for myself. And I totally. have no hard feelings about those things. Yeah, yeah. But there's something about, like, having to be present and accountable for not only yourself but for everyone that you've like taken time from Mm. Uh, and so I think that's like a really blurry line too because there there used to be times where like if I was having a really off day or I wasn't sure what I was going to do in a room like I would just pick something random and almost like force time into existence (laughs) and I don't I don't know how productive that is for me Mm. as a creator because I I it all ends up being junk most of the time when I do that like offloading or yeah something getting out yeah Yeah. and it's like okay cool something productive happened in the room but was that productive then to the goal of the thing that I'm working on Hmm. so I'm 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 more interested now in like the specificity of the thing that's being worked on as opposed to just working Mm, for work's sake so right now I've been doing research on it's actually on time like I'm really quite interested in in the concept of time and okay time as a construct and like how much choice do we have in time or is it all a choice like even if it's not a conscious choice it's all some sort of a learned behavior subconscious choice I think that's happening wow so within that I've been working with myself and just one other collaborator and I've been trying to be really honest with her on like days when I don't feel like I can come into a room and be productive with my time okay or when like I come in and my time is better served to sit and talk like I'm really just trying to do less Mm. and say less and like be more transparent with how I'm feeling about the work as I go and that I'm also entering this without like a set timeline or a need for a product, mm. which has been super helpful for me. I feel like what you're saying is you you trying to dive more into the process, where it's at in that day, in that space, mm-hmm. in that time. Like, yeah, people come from different things. Their their mind is in different places when they come into the room with you. But like, if you can use the precious like idea of the studio space is yours to use right there, right then. I feel like that's sort of what you're go- saying is that you can really understand the process as it is. Well, it's almost like 
It's almost the opposite, I think, of what you're saying. Oh, okay. I think it's like letting go of the preciousness. Oh, okay. Like just existing in what it is. Like at the end of the day, there's billions of people having billions of ideas right, all right. the time. And it's like, so it's okay if the idea isn't there today or it's okay mm, if it is. Okay. Or it's okay if it's wrong saying. tomorrow. But like just to try and do in a sense what you're saying, like sit in whatever it is, mm-hmm. but to not hold it as anything precious or hmm, anything okay. it is. Because I think interpretation is like half of perception, right? So it's like yeah. I can do as much work and like work <laughs> as hard as I can on this thing that's so precious to me. But the moment I do that, I almost like limit the possibility for interpretation from others or like mm. like others advancing my ideas or my beliefs by giving room for failure. Wow, like, I okay. feel like then I can advance what I'm actually thinking. Almost like a sounding board. Mm. Again, I think because I, I really act logically, like I, I, my opinions become stronger the more that I hear other people's opinions on things. Cool. So like the more that I can have that sounding board to be wrong, to like throw something out, mm-hmm. have people question it or add to it or disagree with it, like really then gives me more direction than I could ever give myself by like sitting in my own head in my own notebook trying to like work and work and work mm-hmm. at something that seemed precious to me to begin with you know mm. so the, the the outpouring to other people yeah. influences new ideas in you it's a very like a, a circular cyclical thing I yes guess. cool yeah that sounds like it would be a really thought-provoking process like it doesn't just matter about the moves it's really like how they Performers and how you are taking it in and perceiving it, like you said, the perception of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which then I think also has to be like transient. I don't think that there can ever <laughs> be like a totally conceived idea of what it is. Also. No constants. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. because like I'm not the same person tomorrow as I am today. Mm. So like I can okay. still carry similar beliefs, but like it's forever evolving. So the, like that. the work I think is forever evolving as well. So I almost feel that I need a constant of steps or like movements. Okay. Like like I really enjoy having constants of choreography or like set mapping that then can be interpreted or perceived mm. or delivered in different contexts. Cool. So for me that's the like that's the nice constant that then gets played with as opposed to having like a constant of an idea mm. that then movement can shape itself around. It's like I rather just create a movement that can be modified or shaped differently based on like the insourcing of the day. Right, right. That's really cool. Yeah. I've actually never like heard a kind of process like that. I would love to be in the room with you to <laughs> see and see it come to life. Wow. Wow. No oh, constants. See. But the choreography is the constant. Wow, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, let's shift gears a little bit. Sure. <laughs> um, I was wondering if you've seen anything recently, a show, maybe a, even like online or live performance, anything that's sort of sparked you recently? Um, definitely uh, Hollow Mountain by Rock Bottom. <gasps> I didn't I get to see it. I'm so mad. <laughs> Tell me about it. I want to hear everything. There's just something <laughs> so special in watching a group of people who are friends in real life, Mm. like, do something together. I don't know if that makes sense. Maybe it's to say that I think that there is so much trust in vulnerability, like, in 
it like they were all just basically exploding or like verbal diarrhea in one <laughs> stage no way. about whatever it was and I don't even mean literally verbally it's just mm-hmm. like so much was it felt cathartic to watch for them mm-hmm. and I think that only can happen in a room where you feel such ultimate safety in being able to say and do whatever you need to do and I think that really only happens when you like trust and love the people that you're working and creating with and there's something so yeah so special in watching that because <laughs> cool. it's envious it's like oh yeah you know, to 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 be that way to allow yourself to be that way but also to watch like the safety of the room around them mm. that allows them to be that way like what an what an envious situation to be a, a part of which and especially is, as a performer yourself like, yeah like, or even just a yeah. human being like I took I took a friend that I know from outside of like the dance world He's an architect, so there's some similar amount of right. artistry, I guess, in his day-to-day practice. But to even for him, he's like, wow, that was, that was so emotional and funny and, like, really, really, really deep if you actually look at what the work was. But okay. there's just there's something that gets translated in watching people be so caring for each other. Mm. I don't know. I think it's almost like leading by example. Like, okay. you know, we all talk about a, like a better world or a world that we want or a world we want to see. And it's like, at the end of the day, I think all we want is like a safe place to call home. And it was like watching people oh, wow. at home, you know? Yeah. Just the, the, the safety and the care on stage that allowed this like chaos and disgustingness. Mm. But it became acceptable because it was inside of a group of people that like love and care about each other. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That for me was really beautiful to see nice like nice to see your friend they're all my friends yeah so it's nice to see your friends do stuff (laughs) do something really wacky really wacky but but also so personal and Mm -hmm. because i know them all so well like i could i could see narratives that were coming out in the work that are truly personal to their lives okay but they came across as funny or you know like it just it felt like catharsis cool to watch which was really great and I think it made others reflect on their own situations or, you know, mm-hmm. deep hollow mountains inside of themselves where mm-hmm. they put things. If you don't know what we're talking about, Alyssa Martin has a company called Brock Bottom Movement, and they did a show called Hol- Hollow, hollow Mountain. Hollow Mountain. Was it at the Citadel? or No, no? it was at Collective Space. Oh, yes. Which is near Lansdowne and Bloor area. Mm. It's normally just like a studio space okay so they also was it very intimate yeah it was super intimate mm-hmm. I think they only allowed about 70 people in per performance Ooh, and special. there's no lights in that space no nothing like it's just a white walled black floored studio oh wow and so like Alyssa and Noah Fever who's also a graduate of Ryerson who's a fantastic lighting artist cool he um they like made magic I don't even know how they did it <laughs> they, like bag borrowed steel lights Huh. And this like really cool pink, like fishnet dressing it looked like, and mm-hmm. I think I think that was also part of it is that it felt like the space was so intimate, and so the work the work translated really well in there. And I know that wasn't their their first choice of space; it was just what oh, they yeah. could afford. And it's funny how things work out like that sometimes. Whereas I I think that was the best place to see the work. It was for the better, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Oh man, I really wish I could have seen it. Yeah, it was good. I think there was like. 12,000 things going on at that weekend there or were, something. absolutely. 
I have to like pick a few, but um, it was so hard to get tickets to that show too. Like, it, well, it sounds like it was a very ball. VIP almost yeah. <laughs> feel. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and recently, you were uh, a dancer in Fall for Dance North, the festival that's put on in October, and you were a part of Red Sky's performance. No, no, Cody Berry. Cody so Berry. Cody Sorry. Berry used to dance. For Red Sky. Okay, that's probably yeah, <laughs> where my brain was no. going. <laughs> and they were, I think they were involved in helping him land this commission this year. Oh, so cool. he was one of, I believe, two festival commissions. So it was himself and Lady C. Oh, yes, yes, okay. Um, and he was part of the Indigenous program, which was the first year of this programming with Fall Dance North. So cool. That in they Toronto, that. which is, yeah. So cool. It was really great. It was yeah. really fascinating to be a part of that programming just yeah. in general like not only fall for dance but fall for dances indigenous program i went to the panel really that they had for that yeah and just hearing the background of people and 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 also how they realized they needed to be a p- more seen and heard and mm-hmm. and finding their own voices especially in canada i think that was really a really needed thing we need like really needed it yeah it's funny that it's only happened just this year yeah i mean but. there's so much um learning and unlearning we all have to do when yes it comes to mm-hmm. the indigenous history of canada yeah and um that goes for like white folk mm-hmm. as well as yeah. the indigenous people of this land are you indigenous or no i'm not no yeah I'm not neither am i um and my my mom's side is actually from winnipeg manitoba mm. which is like a huge and scary indigenous history in, mm. ter- in terms of um the way land was taken from them yeah and growing up i really didn't i grew up in toronto and i really didn't hear much about anything regarding indigenous history i think like most of us in canada who have a like normalized schooling education yeah the the indigenous history is really really belittled and yeah like shoved under the rug it's really sad it's really sad because it's such a big part of history like i don't think people realize like also of course that the land we are on is literally not ours but you know residential schools and all that Mm -hmm. that all that crap that went on i think learning about it is really important for young young kids to understand and know and yeah like you I didn't have a lot of education in that in that domain and I and I only just recently heard about it coming to Ryerson I took a class on like race and ethnicity in Canada because I was like I need to be educated and understand this yeah Um, but it's not enough there's still more to learn no it's really not and I think like there's so much that we can't learn because their identities are so far removed from us. Like if mm. you speak about in regi- residential schools or different reserves that like these folks live on, they're so far removed from us and where we live and what yeah. we get to see, like and actually get to witness. And mm. so I think like you know, as much reading as I can do, I feel that there's still so much that's so far distant from me. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a lot of friends who are from Yukon. So they live, like, that's in really close proximity to where um, there are Native reserves and, Mm. like, the the communities seem a little bit more close-knit. So I've heard heard some stories from those friends and I've read a lot, but working with Cody, this was my second time working with him, Mm -hmm. and the first time I really didn't hear much about his story or his upbringing 
outside of his own experiences and like how that then informed the work that we were working on at the time. Yeah. But to be in a room with him and then he brought in his cousin who still lives on their reserve. Oh wow. Um, and so to to listen to the histories and the stories of their upbringing and their families and their beliefs and um, just their, like to have their existence put so close to me hmm. was uh, like such a beautiful experience and that was my favorite part of being a part of it. Cool. Um, just because it was a like a proximity I hadn't yet been allowed to experience. Mm-hmm. And in the room, like the creativity of that, I guess, like yeah, that was challenging because Cody left his reserve when he was seventeen, and like majority of his current dance training is like a very white formalized mm. training experience. Wow. So I'm sure like I'm sure for him, I don't want to speak for him, but I'm sure for him that was a difficult thing to come to terms with and yeah, yeah. he even he had mentioned to me towards the end that he struggled with having to make the work about an indigenous story. Okay. Like that's what his his misconception was was that he had to make the work about something indigenous and it was only until that panel he told me that he went to and he heard these other indigenous older artists get to speak Mm -hmm. that he realized that like it didn't have to be about something indigenous it was indigenous because he's indigenous Mm -hmm. and using his voice is enough it doesn't have to be about something greater than him for it to be an indigenous work or a work that's you know presented or important to the rest of the populace I see. So, like, like, it's enough to just be, you. just be, just which be, is, right? Which is what most white, white there you go. artists yeah. think of themselves, and like that, that ego and that like true belief that they're either genius or important or worthy enough to have their voices heard and listened to and their opinions voiced, like voiced mm. in front of everyone. Like that ego didn't seem to be like existing inside of him yet, just because he'd been so silenced. Wow. You know? Yeah, yeah. So that was like a beautiful, I think, thing to witness too. Mm-hmm. Was his own growth inside of mm. whatever that meant to be someone saying something. And you can support that through the piece. And yeah, I mean, I tried yeah. like. Well, even just like giving him an ear yeah. and listening to his experiences, I think, is. Yeah. Sounds like it spoke volumes. Totally. Yeah. I don't know, it's something. Yeah, it's something I I ha- want to reflect on further and like cool. Yeah. Maybe have a further conversation with him because again, we never know how we're mm-hmm. being perceived, but I, you know, I'd love to have him here <laughs> so, yeah. so we could talk about it, but yeah. Yeah. It's um Yeah, I feel I feel really grateful to have been invited into that. Really cool process. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you you were from Winnipeg, but you grew up in Toronto. I'm not from Winnipeg. My mom's from Your Winnipeg. Your mom's from Winnipeg. Yes. Okay. And I grew up in Toronto, mm-hmm. born and raised. My mom's Ukrainian, so there's a big oh. Ukrainian populace in Winnipeg. Nice, nice. And then my dad is Irish Catholic, and he grew up in Lindsay, Ontario, which is like three hours. Do you ever go back to Winnipeg at all? Or? Oh, I go back a lot. Yeah? Yes. Yeah, yeah. See all your families? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, Ukrainian families are very close-knit, and, like, family's the number one. So <laughs> my mom and her sister moved here when they were, like, 18, 19. And then her other two brothers still live in Winnipeg with, her, like, my grandmother, her mom. All right. So, okay. so lots of family there. Yeah, family, yeah. Yeah. And then... My dad's family is mostly around Ontario. 
Mm-hmm. So growing up in Toronto, I don't even, like I literally don't even know. Are you from a competition studio or just regular training? <laughs> yeah. Or? Uh, well, I, <laughs> I always see you at the gym. We always have yeah. these. I should tell everyone. We I always have these like five second little like glances <laughs> at the gym here on campus, and I just. I'm really glad that I actually have you <laughs> to sit down and talk and hear about your history and everything. Yeah. Can we borrow? Oh, wait, that's green. Never mind. Can we borrow the marker? Oh. Okay. <laughs> little visits. <laughs> we love little visits here on our conversations. <laughs> Literally, that's happened so many times. <laughs> that's funny. Um, yeah, I'm from Toronto. Your, your history, yes. <laughs> I grew up playing a lot of sports. Oh, okay. Yeah, my mom played a lot of sports when she was younger. So I think that probably, also being in Toronto, I think it's very easy to like be a busy kid. So it's like soccer, soccer, nice. baseball, softball, Ooh. basketball, volleyball. I ran track, I ran cross country. I was in competitive oh. gymnastics for a while. I did figure skating, like literally anything you can name <laughs> yeah. I did, except for playing something instrument. you haven't done? I didn't get to play an instrument. Oh no. I didn't have time, but it's okay. <laughs> So yeah, uh, lots of, lots of sports and activities growing up. Okay. And so. When did your dance training start? When I was like three. Okay. Yeah. Oh, so on top of all that? Like those like music (laughs) and movement classes. And then I got to a point when I was, I think I was nine, Mm -hmm. that my like gymnastics training was becoming more serious. And so they wanted to move me into one of those situations where you, like, only go to school part-time and right, you right. do, like, the 40 hours a week of the gymnastic training. Dance. My mom was like, if you do that, there's no more dancing. And I was like, oh, oh fuck no. that, mom. <laughs> no way, I want to dance. Yeah, yeah. So funny, because then I was, like, 18, and I realized what I did. <laughs> I was so mad at my mom. I was like, how dare you? I can be in the Olympics right now. Like, what the heck? I want to be Simone Biles. Literally. <laughs> it was that period of time. Yeah. Simone Biles. I was like, what an idol. Oh what did gosh. you take from me? And she was like, I didn't take anything from you. You decided. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess you have to pick one. And right. well, now like, that I look back, I'm like, there's no way. There's no way I emotionally could have handled being yeah. oh, man. an Olympic athlete. Like, the, especially in gymnastics. Crazy. That's... You know, that's a whole different life. And mm-hmm. I, I, now that I understand the full concept of what that is, mm-hmm. very grateful that never happened. So your mom wanted you to have an actual high school life and... and I honestly think if I'd been like, yeah, mom, I want to do this, she would have been like, sure. Like, my mom okay. is so supportive to whatever it is yeah, yeah. that I want to do <laughs> that I really think if I'd been adamant upon it. Like, yeah. But it obviously wasn't like a, a huge passion of mine if I was willing okay. to like be like, No. I want to dance. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't even recall making that decision, but there you go. So then I started dancing more heavily. Mm-hmm. I grew up training at yeah, just like a normal studio, and then when I was ten, I transitioned over. Maybe I was nine, something like that, around mm-hmm. that same time. I transitioned over to CCDT, Canadian Contemporary Dance Theater. Cool, cool. So I didn't really ever have the competitive dance experience. It's mm-hmm. like. CCDT is a youth company for those who yep. maybe don't know in Toronto. Mm-hmm. They uh, train mostly in Limon, which is like a very old modern technique. So it was very Limon and ballet heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, you enjoyed that? Yeah, I enjoyed that a lot. When I was younger, I did like a lot of jazz and tap and mm-hmm. all, all the that commercial stuff. stuff. Yeah, well, just, like, yeah, <laughs> all the other 
styles of dance, hip hop. Yeah. Like that's why I first got in. I was like six. I loved hip hop. Yeah. Loved it so much. I want to see you get down. I yeah. feel like you could. I don't know if I can, <laughs> but loved it. That's nice. what got me in. And cool. then from there. Yeah, my training was just so rigorous within mm. modern and ballet. I think that swayed me towards other things. And I really loved loved my experience at CCDT. Nice. Um, and you immediately from high school came to Ryerson? No, or so years my dad passed away when I was 15. I'm so sorry. So I took almost a year probably off of dance. Deborah Longmark, the director, was very unhappy. Well, I mean... Me, but I just, you know, like, needed, <laughs> yeah, such a, yeah. needed space. Um, and then I did a year of competitive dance before... Or, sorry, two years of competitive dance before coming to Ryerson. Okay. And within those two years, the studio that I went to, the reason I ended up going to a competitive studio is my mom let, met Lauren Cook. Oh. And so Lauren Cook at the time was just starting her company, Alias. Alias, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was in, like, its first stages. No way. And um, she had another company before that, but I don't even remember the name of it. Mm. And she was working as the administrative head of this competitive studio, Turning Point, that I went to in Toronto. Oh. And she was starting a junior youth company at this Lauren. studio, okay. PMDT, mm-hmm. Pivotal Movement Dance Theater. Ooh. And so I was in the first two years of that as she was starting it there and so I did competition but I was still very much training in the same ways that I would have been at CCDT and like so I had choreography done on me by like Alan Kaja Karen Kaja Um, we know those people (laughs) Gadfly Heidi Strauss like all the people that I now am working with and for as a professional artist I met when I was like 16, 17 so what a great connection really really yeah um and that's also, like, the direction that CCDT has moved in now is that yeah. they're hiring, like, choreographers like that to come and do commissions. But at the time, it was more so that we were doing, like, um, more so rep works. And, like, the David Earl Company was still around at the time. Gotcha. And there was, like, yeah. a lot more of a modern influence in Toronto dance. So those were the yeah. types of works that we were doing. Mm-hmm. So it was, like, almost a perfect transition at the perfect time. Yeah. the works that I ended up doing for my last two years of high school became very relevant to my university What a great life. transition. Yeah, yeah. And then I didn't want to go into dance. That wasn't a plan. Okay. I'm also, like, really academically driven, mm-hmm. and I wanted to go into law. No way. Yeah. <laughs> so I applied mostly to law schools, mm. some in the UK, a bunch in Canada, so, like, McGill, cool. Western, Queens, and then two or three in the UK. I got accepted to all of them, uh, and I auditioned at Ryerson as, like, a just in case. Yeah? Like, I decided to do it maybe, like, a month or two before the auditions. Wow. And, um... And you said no to all those law schools. Yeah, I got... I, like, went in my Ryerson audition. I got in on the spot. I was like, okay, cool. Like, <laughs> and then I just dilly-dallied <laughs> on a decision. And then it was, like, decision. Okay, cool. It was, like, a day before the decision. And I had, still had no idea what I was going to do. Uh-huh. And just thinking about... I think it was about thinking about not being in a space where I could just dance. Uh-huh. At the time, I think that was fully my decision. I was like, oh, not being t- able to move, like, yeah. every day. That seems weird. That sucks. So well, I mean... Ended up at Ryerson. Yeah, look at that. Look at that. Well, Had no really... idea what I was walking into. Mm-hmm. Didn't know, like... What's funny is I didn't even, re- like, put together that Lauren Cook had gone through the Ryerson program. Yeah, yeah, Because I think all that, those people. like, CCDT, like... They send most of their people over to purchase, like in New York, to dance. Yeah, like yeah. there's, there's not much crossover with like my upbringing versus people who go to Ryerson. Mm-hmm. There's more of a crossover now, I think. Mm. 
But, um, yeah, I really had no idea what to expect. Hmm. Didn't really talk to anyone about it. Yeah, yeah. There was, like, a month before I was going to start. I remember, like, crying with my mom, being like, what am I doing? <laughs> like, why am I doing this? Yeah. <laughs> Is, like, university, like, really the way to do this? <laughs> like, I should right. just be going to auditioning places if I want yes, to be a dancer. Yes, that's such a big question, eh? Like... Well, like, not Which a question path? I'd ever perceived myself asking either. Mm-hmm. Like, I had no idea yeah. that I wanted to do this professionally. Hmm. Um, but, yeah, my mom's super supportive of That's whatever. Good. So she's like, just do it. See how it goes. Aw. And here we are. There you are. Oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. Well, I'm glad I could actually hear about your life <laughs> instead of just, hi, <laughs> I'm on the elliptical. Hi, bye. Um, what's what's next? What's coming up? What's, I know you're in rehearsal, but... Yeah, in rehearsal. Other things? Um, in January, I start in rehearsal with Alan Kaja. Yeah. For, I think the work's premiering 2021. It's like okay. still in a very research phase. Okay. Top um, secret. Not top secret. No? Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, looking at people's upbringings, the like histories we hold, the stories we hold. Mm. Um, like it's it's very personal to like uh, childhood and growth from there. Okay. And, like, what we bring forward with us. He's really great, so that'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I've known Alan what feels like my whole life, so <laughs> it's always nice working with him. Okay. Yeah. Well, definitely follow. Kirsten on all of her social media platforms, which I will link down below. <laughs> um, and thank you so much for sitting with me. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate so your time. Nice to see you. You too. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to the Art Versations podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate, and leave a review to help the podcast grow. As well, follow the podcast on Instagram at Art Versations Pod. That's A-R-T-V-E-R-S-A-T-I-O-N-S-P-O-D. You'll find photos of each of my guests so you can match a voice to a face. Let's keep the conversation going. DM me with your own thoughts about art, as I would love to hear them. I'm always up for a good old-fashioned chat. Till next time.